Welcome to another edition of the program Speaking Out America. I am your host, JR. I was very happy to see my team win. I like when my team wins. I'm starting to get that feeling about the Republican Party. Uh, but the Tampa Bay Rays, man, they just knocked it out of the park. And it was one of the nicest times uh, that I enjoyed over the weekend. I hope that you also had a good weekend. And I did a lot of reading. And, and I've read a lot about what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, and I, I am just shocked that, well, you know, look, it, you, you know what I always say. I, I need to stop being shocked by the lack of media coverage uh, of these things. But uh, you know that I am staunchly against this war. And I believe that also that our own government could have prevented this outbreak. Based on everything I've read, there was every opportunity for Biden to prevent this war from happening. And the fact that he didn't tells me that he wanted this war to happen for a a whole host of reasons. And so here we are, over a year into this battle, thousands and tens of thousands of lives died. They're dead. They're dead. Ukraine will never be the same. It will take decades before it ever gets back to where it is. And so we want to dedicate this this hour to peace because it was on this weekend, this past weekend, June 10th, to be exact, 40 years ago, that we were in a similar showdown with the Soviets, or back then the Soviets. And it was on that day, June 10th, that John F. Kennedy gave a terrific speech. It's known as the Peace Speech. And we're going to play a lot of it during this hour and then and, and then talk a little bit about, you know, it, it will give us a better understanding of where we are today, I believe. Uh, right now, the latest devastation is the dam. It's called the Nova Kakovka Dam, and it's in, off the Dnipro River. And the dam is the biggest water reserve in terms of volume and located at a hydroelectric power plant. The dam is in the Russian-occupied town of Nova Kakovka. The dam destruction is already affecting wildlife. It's flooding one area while the water drains from this dam upriver where the water was being held by the dam is being drained. And we're talking about thousands of square miles of bird habitat, all kinds of, not to mention the fact that the water was used as part, as part of the hydroelectric power plant, which now isn't working. And the current modeling shows that flooding could continue up to five more days. It will continue to damage the habitat of local species, not to mention what it's doing to the 25,000 people or so that live in just that area alone. It's a huge agricultural area. So a lot of this water is going to completely destroy the soil. All that runoff. In the long run, they say that they'll expect nature will probably bounce back. But... The continued destruction of infrastructure and the pressure on water supply could even see a a new wave of water migrants in other parts of Ukraine and in Europe. So now we're going to have more people trying to get the hell out of there. Uh, And and it's, it's not our fault, but by the same token, there was a great article over the weekend written by a man that I have a lot of respect for, if I can find it here. And it has to do with the fact that when faced with the same issue... 40 years ago of an aggressive adversary such as Russia. But what Joe Biden isn't doing, John Kennedy attempted to do, and that's why we want to we want to dedicate this hour to peace and what we need to do to wake this administration up and get them to realize that this war will never end well. And in fact, 
According to Jeffrey Sachs at CommonDreams.org, it could lead to World War III. And we heard over the weekend that Putin and his team have said that they are considering moving their nuclear, whatever, arsenal uh, into Belarus, which would put them closer to Europe. And and he either is either joking or he's teasing or whatever it is. But, you know, listen to the words of John Kennedy and how he understood the dynamics of a Cold War and where it can lead. And most importantly, the end result, if we don't try to pursue peace at every opportunity. Listen now to this speech, at least a portion of it, from 40 years ago. I have therefore chosen this time and place to discuss a topic on which ignorance too often abounds and the truth too rarely perceived. And that is the most important topic on earth, peace. What kind of a peace do I mean and what kind of a peace do we seek? Not a Pax Americana enforced on the world by American weapons of war. Not the peace of the grave or the security of the slave. I am talking about genuine peace, the kind of peace that makes life on earth worth living, the kind that enables men and nations to grow and to hope and build a better life for their children. Not merely peace for Americans, but peace for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, but peace in all time. I speak of peace because of the new face of war. Total war makes no sense in an age where great powers can maintain large and relatively invulnerable nuclear forces and refuse to surrender without resort to those forces. It makes no sense in an age where a single nuclear weapon contains almost 10 times the explosive force delivered by all the Allied Air Forces in the Second World War. It makes no sense in an age when the deadly poisons produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the globe and to generations yet unborn. Today, the expenditure of billions of dollars every year on weapons acquired for the purpose of making sure we never need them is essential to the keeping of peace. But surely the acquisition of such idle stockpiles, which can only destroy and never create, is not the only, much less the most efficient, means of assuring peace. I speak of peace, therefore, as the necessary rational end of rational men. I realize the pursuit of peace is not as dramatic as the pursuit of war, and frequently the words of the pursuers fall on deaf ears, but we have no more urgent task. Some say that it is useless to speak of peace or world law or world disarmament, and that it will be useless until the leaders of the Soviet Union adopt a more enlightened attitude. I hope they do. I believe we can help them do it. But I also believe that we must re-examine our own attitudes as individuals and as a nation, for our attitude is as essential as theirs. 
And every graduate of this school, every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace, towards the Soviet Union, towards the course of the Cold War, and towards freedom and peace here at home. First, examine our attitude towards peace itself. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. John Kennedy, and we'll have more of that coming up here on Speaking Out America. It is interesting that the more things change, the more things stay the same. Jeffrey Sachs points out that Kennedy knew that since peace was in the mutual interest of the U.S. and the Soviet Union, a peace treaty could be reached. To those who said that the then-former Soviet Union would not abide by a peace treaty, Kennedy responded that both the United States and its allies and the former Soviet Union, have a mutually deep interest in a just and genuine peace. Here's more of John F. Kennedy from 1963. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable and we believe they can do it again. I am not referring to the absolute, infinite concept of universal peace and goodwill of which some fantasies and fanatics dream. I do not deny the value of hopes and dreams, but we merely invite discouragement and incredulity by making that our only and immediate goal. Let us focus instead on a more practical, more attainable peace based not on a sudden revolution in human nature, but on a gradual evolution in human institutions, on a series of concrete actions and effective agreements, which are in the interests of all concerned. There is no single simple key to this peace, no grand or magic formula to be adopted by one or two powers. Genuine peace must be the product of many nations, the sum of many acts. It must be dynamic, not static, changing to meet the challenge of each new generation. For peace is a process, a way of solving problems. With such a peace, there will still be quarrels and conflicting interests, as there are within families and nations. World peace, like community peace, does not require that each man love his neighbor. It requires only that they live together in mutual tolerance, submitting their disputes to a just and peaceful settlement. And history teaches us that enmities between nations, as between individuals, do not last forever. We'll listen to more of John F. Kennedy coming up on Speaking Out America. I'm J.R., and we appreciate you stopping by. And we'll have much more of this in just a moment right here on Speaking Out America. We'll be right back.
So we're talking about this article that was written by uh, Jeffrey Sachs that appeared over the weekend, talking about the different approaches that John Kennedy took in 1963 versus what Biden's approach is in 2023 when it comes to handling or dealing with a conflict with Russia. And though we are not fighting the war directly, it is NATO that is backing Ukraine's effort to fight the war against Russia. And Russia, of course, saying that they have reasons uh, that go beyond the scope of, of, of what most people know for being aggressive. Chiefly among them is that they say that they're trying to protect the eastern part of Ukraine, which is primarily ethnic Russian. That's one aspect of this. Also is the fact that Putin probably wants to have access, better access to the Black Sea, which is certainly important. He wants to destabilize the Ukraine so that it would no longer pose a threat. Uh, and uh, then also I think it's, it's probably something is the NATO uh, question. You know, Biden was clearly told by uh, Putin that he felt threatened if Ukraine was brought into NATO because it would mean that there would be an extraordinary amount of border where, it's, you know, imagine if, if suddenly China took over Mexico or, you know, China invaded Mexico and then wanted to, you know, seize the entire continent. And, and then, what, then what? How would we feel about that? And it's, that's his perspective. That's at least what, what Putin is saying. Now, I'm not giving any credence to it, and I certainly think that Putin should have tried diplomacy. He didn't have to do this. He took the choice to do this. And as a consequence, we reacted, and no one seems to be wanting to talk about peace. At this stage of the game, are we just supposed to let this war continue and rage and rage until there is no such thing as Ukraine? And, and how many... How many resources are we going to be putting into collectively? We've already spent billions and billions and billions of dollars on this. So in the context of all of this, Jeffrey Sachs writes, Biden has behaved almost the opposite of JFK. He has personally and repeatedly denigrated Russian President Vladimir Putin. His administration has defined the U.S. war aim as the weakening of Russia. Biden has avoided all communications with Putin. They have apparently not spoken since February 22, and Biden rebuffed a bilateral meeting with Putin at last year's G20 summit in Bali, Indonesia. Sachs continues to write, he says, Biden has refused to even acknowledge, much less to address Russia's deep security concerns. Putin repeatedly expressed Russia's ardent opposition to NATO enlargement to Ukraine, a country with a 2,000-kilometer border with Russia. This is where Sachs says the U.S. would never tolerate a Mexican-Russian or Mexican-Chinese military alliance in view of the 2,000-mile Mexico-U.S. border. It is time for Biden to negotiate with uh, Russia on NATO enlargement as part of a broader negotiation to end the Ukraine war. And I agree with him. It's time. Uh, you know, again, how many resources are we going to dedicate? Blood treasure paid for us by the U.S. taxpayer. So let's take a step back in time. Let's go back to 1963 on this day, 40 years ago, and in the perspective that John F. Kennedy brought in his famous peace speech. Today, should total war ever break out again, no matter how, our two countries will be the primary target. It is an ironic but accurate fact that the two strongest powers are the two in the most danger of devastation. All we have built, all we have worked for, would be destroyed in the first 24 hours. 
and even in the Cold War, which brings burdens and dangers to so many countries, including this nation's closest allies, our two countries bear the heaviest burdens. For we are both devoting massive sums of money to weapons that could be better devoted to combat ignorance, poverty, and disease. We are both caught up in a vicious and dangerous cycle with suspicion on one side breeding suspicion on the other and new weapons begetting counterweapons. In short, both the United States and its allies and the Soviet Union and its allies have a mutually deep interest in a just and genuine peace and in holding the arms race. Agreements to this end are in the interests of the Soviet Union as well as ours. And even the most hostile nations can be relied upon to accept and keep those treaty obligations and only those treaty obligations which are in their own interest. So let us not be blind to our differences, but let us also direct attention to our common interests and the means by which those differences can be resolved. And if we cannot end now our differences, at least we can help make the world safe for diversity. For in the final analysis, our most basic common link is that we all inhabit this small planet. We all breathe the same air. We all cherish our children's futures. And we are all mortal. Here's a little bit more from that same speech given June 10th, 1963. All this is not unrelated to world peace. When a man's way please the Lord, the scriptures tell us, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. And is not peace in the last analysis basically a matter of human rights, the right to live out our lives without fear of devastation, the right to breathe air as nature provided it, the right of future generations to a healthy existence, while we proceed to safeguard our national interests, let us also safeguard human interests. And the elimination of war and arms is clearly in the interests of both. No treaty, however much it may be to the advantage of all, however tightly it may be worded, can provide absolute security against the risks of deception and evasion. But it can, if it is sufficiently effective, in its enforcement, and it is sufficiently in the interest of its signers, offer far more security and far fewer risks than an unabated, uncontrolled, unpredictable arms race. The United States, as the world knows, will never start a war. We do not want a war. We do not now expect a war. This generation of Americans has already had enough, more than enough, of war and hate and oppression. You know, it would be a real shame if all the war hawks, Cheney, uh, Newland, Samantha Powers, the Obama administration, uh, the media, it, it would be a real thing, wouldn't it, if they would suddenly realize that what they're doing is playing the marching drums to World War III and perhaps the destruction of civilization as we know it? It would be a real eye-opener if they would one day realize that they're on the wrong side of history. 
And then if they would only listen to their Democratic leader from just 40 years ago, to what he had to say, because I think that John Kennedy knew exactly what he was about, and he knew exactly what the potential ramifications were if we kept behaving that way, and we are still behaving that way. Continue for a long time, but the United States will continue to stand with Ukraine, the Ukrainian people in the fight for freedom, and I just want you to know that. And by the way, if I got to go to war, I'm going with you guys. If I got to go to war, I'm going with you guys. If I got to go to war, I'm going with you guys. Go to war, go to war, go to war. If I got to go to war, I'm going with you guys. Did you see that Belmont Stakes and the owner of that horse that won, what was it? And, and, uh... Archangela, yeah. And anyway, so the owner, first female horse owner to win the Belmont Stakes. And man, just the thrill of her winning, it just goes to show you how exciting horse racing can be. And uh, I just took such great joy in watching this woman just really thoroughly enjoy the victory. Oh yeah, the victory. Tell you, you know, it's starting to really uh, take effect. And I was right all along about the moral majority. See, we used to refer to the moral majority as like uh, Jerry Falwell. <clears throat> but that was a long time ago. That was another century. Now we understand the mor- moral majority to be those people who, who are, they love America, they love family, they love their faith, they love hard work, they know that hard work is the key to success, not just financially, but also personally, you know, intellectually. You know, the... Uh, I give a good example. My son is uh, younger in his years, and he's out on a mission right now, learning a new skill. And he's out, and he's out of his element, and he's in another part of the country, and he's having to really dig in deep, roll up his sleeves, and, and be a man. And as a parent, you know that that's that's a good thing. But in today's world, everybody has bruised egos. You know, no one wants to offend anybody, so they use the proper pronouns, they they want to affirm people and their insecurities, and this is all around us, you know, but that's not what builds character. And we can certainly see that it's, when, when all you're doing is looking for affirmation and acknowledgement, and I saw this coming when we started handing out special achievement awards. You know, people are pretty resilient if you give them the opportunity, but in, in America with so much luxury and, and wealth around us, uh, we've become, I think, many of us have become weak. And we have to have safe zones. And we have to be protected by the government from people who might say the wrong words or, you know, take a, or might think the wrong th- thoughts. You know, Steve Dace was quoted in an interview over the weekend. He's the one that wrote that that screenplay that I have to go see. Uh, the name escapes me now. But it's, uh, it's uh, he makes a good point that you know, in the old days, not that long ago, uh, if you had a disagreement on a policy issue or a, a social issue, you could have that disagreement, and th- but there was still some level of mutual respect. But with the LGBTQ community, it's not about having mutual respect. It's about compliance. It's not enough that you have to allow for you know, Pride Month, you have to endorse it. You have to, you have to have a sign on your window. You have to be wearing that ribbon. 
It's not enough that you say, it's okay if you want to have a pride parade or if you, whatever you want to do to celebrate whatever it is that you think you want to celebrate. It's okay by me. And that would be the end of it. But now it's, it's even worse than that. It's you have to go, you have to endorse it. You have to think it's a good idea. And it goes against the grain of a lot of people who were, who were raised exactly the opposite. People were raised exactly the opposite. They were, they were taught that the more important characteristics of a person's being is service to others. And in fact, that's how you, you execute God's will by serving others, doing good unto others. I don't know if it's doing good unto others if you're affirming someone's sexual identity, which is different from how they were born. Is that, is that serving others or is that enabling others to idealize themselves in a world that we don't belong in? Anyway, there was a, there's a couple of things going on. Bill AB 957, which is a bill that's currently being considered and making a termination if you are in a dispute. Let's say, well, let's say, for example, you're a husband and wife and, and your kid wants to uh, change their identity and you're the mother and you want to go along with it. The father doesn't. That could be grounds of losing your children. Failure to affirm a child's gender identity could be cause for a child to be removed from parental custody. And that's not all they're up to in California. The other story, which is equally strange, unusual, is that they want to make it so that insurance companies have to pay for in vitro fertilization in a gay, in a, in a, in a gay marriage, two men. So if you're two men and uh, they're going to change the definition of, of the term infertility, infertility will now apply to men and women. And as such, they can say to insurance companies like Kaiser Permanente or Blue Cross or whomever, they could say, well, you have to cover the in vitro fertilization for John and Jim if they choose to have a child. And not only do you have to pay for that, but you also have to pay for the surrogate, the woman or the female who is capable because men biologically are not capable, number one, of being fertile. fertile being fertile by definition means that you can get, become impregnated. And although Glamour magazine would like you to believe that men can get impregnated, uh, nature would tell you otherwise. And so this is where California's energies are being focused. And, you know, I was surprised to learn that uh, the two big, uh, Mike Weimer, I think it is, W-I-E-M-E-R, it's either Mike or David, he's an assemblyman in, in California, and he spearheads a lot of these LGBTQ, in fact, everything LGBTQ. Uh, David Weiner is, is always behind these pieces of legislation like this one talking about gender identity, like the one that I was just talking about, insurance companies being required to pay fertility bills for gay, for gay men marriages if they decide to have a child. But it's also Kathy Griffin. Yeah, that's right, the comedian. She's a part of this LGBT, the biggest LGBTQ lobbying group in California. And I suspect I probably would have to do some digging, and I'm, I'm going to use the word suspect because I can't prove it, but I suspect that a lot of these politicians in California get a lot of donations from LGBTQ 
And I've, I've learned over, over the weekend that this is how it works. If you've got a group that, Adam Schiff is another example. You've got a group that wants you to pursue a certain agenda and they're giving you money for your campaign, then, uh, then you're going to do what they tell you to do because you know that if you want to win re-election or if you want to run a, unopposed in a re-election to keep your seat in power in California, well, you've got to appease those people who donate to your coffers. And I think that's what drives a lot of this, plus, of course, the advocacy and, you know, politicians get affirmation when they support groups that support them and they get invited to all the right parties and they get to hang out with all the right people. And in California right now, they are, they, I, uh, I just, I wouldn't be surprised if they changed their, their flag from a bear to a pride flag. I mean, that is the, uh, the, G- I, I would have said New York or even Miami a few years ago, but no, there's no question in my mind that everything about California right now is either race or gender-based. And that's the way that they want to run things. And we're going to be able to see by watching them. This will be the interesting thing. We'll be able to watch California as we've been watching. It's falling apart. People are leaving. It's the homeless capital of the country. There are billions and billions of dollars in debt. Their supply chain is broken yet again. The ports at Port Angeles and also in Oakland, are, are the, the barges aren't moving because of bad governing and all kinds of regulations. They're about to ban cars. That's really going to be completely devastating. We're going to watch, I think, in our lifetime, and I predict this to be true, uh, that California will completely fall apart. The crime rate, uh, crime rate will not go down. Now you got Governor Newsom who's trying to take people's guns away, telling them that they're doing it because it's the humane thing to do. And all of this is unraveling before our eyes, which I think is a good thing because if we watch what happens in California over the next decade to 15 years, we will see a case example of what happens when one state goes completely bonkers and throws away every tradition, breaks every taboo, and decide that socialism is the way to go. And we're watching this unfold. We'll be back. More of Speaking Out America. Stay tuned. We want to discuss information the committee has learned since our last press conference in November. New information investigators have uncovered regarding the transfer of money from foreign entities to the Biden family. Many of the wire payments occurred while Joe Biden was vice president and leading the United States efforts in these countries. This is the beautiful friend. First instance, while Vice President Biden was lecturing Romania on anti-corruption policies, in reality, he was a walking billboard for his son and family to collect money. Hunter Biden and his associates capitalized on a lucrative financial relationship with a Romanian national who was under investigation for and later convicted of corruption in Romania. The Bidens received over $1 million. This is the end. 
The frustration of the time that it's taken, as you mentioned, the continuing saga of this story, it's a drip, drip, drip of endless corruption and disappointment. Will anyone ever trust the FBI again, I wonder, let alone the Department of Justice? My suspicion is that Biden is running again so that he can keep this scam going. Reading this form today uh, shows the pure distinction this, this information, this source that came forward, it's a paid informant by the FBI. This has nothing to do with Giuliani. This has nothing to do with the information that he brought forward in 2020. It's totally separate, and it's extremely incredible because he's a paid informant. Um, I made some notes after I left the skiff uh, based on the information, and I'll, I'll share that with you guys right now. Um, basically, what was happening there is back in 2015-2016, Burisma was looking to buy uh, a U.S.-based oil and gas company. And this came from being advised by Hunter Biden and his partners. Um, Biden had told, Biden said Shokin was corrupt. That was around the time of this meeting was when Joe Biden, as vice president, had said that the prosecutor Shokin was corrupt. They hired Hunter on the board to make the problems go away. That's what they specifically said. Um, Hunter advised that they could raise more money if they bought a U.S. company. So the, the informant was trying to do the right thing and trying to advise Burisma that they shouldn't go this route. They should hire an attorney work out their problems that they were being investigated for because they were having other legal problems. And that's why they were being investigated by this prosecutor, Shokin. These charges being leveled at this present, this influence peddling that we understand uh, could be going on for decades. What are your thoughts in terms of the mainstream media? These are the most serious charges ever leveled at a present. And the mainstream media will not report it, Newt. Of course not. Look, you have to understand, the, the national establishment, the people who went to Harvard and Yale and Princeton, uh, the folks who belong to Skull and Bones, all of those people are united in a determination to, to retain power over the American people. And they're watching a steady upsurge of Americans who are sick and tired of a corrupt uh, elite that's trying to do things. You're seeing this, uh, frankly, with Target. Uh, you saw it with Bud Light. Uh, I think the Dodgers are going to face tremendous penalties for having brought in a, an anti-Catholic, anti-nun, vicious group of people. Uh, and I think that uh, you look at what's happening here. We know now from, from the Durham report that virtually everything said about Donald Trump was a lie. And sadly, almost everything being said about Joe Biden is the truth. Uh, and yet... The FBI is trying to protect him. The Justice Department is trying to protect him. The intelligence community is trying to protect him. And it's because you have a left-wing establishment that is under siege, that is losing power, and they are desperate to stay in charge. And the only way they can stay in charge is this kind of constant assault. Uh, and that's why I think the Republicans in the House in particular, who are the most conservative group in Washington, have to stand firm and have to stand united. And they're going to win because they have the power of the purse. The Newt Gingrich, and he was on Maria Bartiromo last week. We also heard Marjorie Taylor Greene going over these latest charges. Uh, and of course, Form 1023 confirms a whistleblower saying that the Bidens, particularly Joe, and Hunter both took $5 million bribes to make a problem go away. And then on that very same day that that report comes out, lo and behold, Donald Trump is being indicted by 
the Department of Justice, for moving documents that were classified. And not a peep about anything that's happening to Biden. He's asked about it over the weekend, and all he can say is, it's a bunch of malarkey. Every world observer of our country, and we said this and we talk about it, we know, is looking at us right now and saying, boy, you guys, are, something's wrong with America. Uh, and, and it's so blatantly obvious that this president knows that he can't beat Trump. So what does he do? He cuts him off and he uses all of his power to take this man out, his political opponent. History will show, uh, you know, that that is the case. Now, you've got people on the left in this country who simply believe that Trump is is the devil incarnate. But uh, I do believe that this case, our big mistake here is that we don't really even need to focus on the indictment. This is the fourth or fifth time that the deep state has gone after, uh, and I'm sure they'll find a technicality on Trump. What makes you think that this is going to stick? What, because Chris Christie thinks so? Because Mitt Romney believes that that uh, you know these the, that Trump it's Trump's fault that he had a bunch of papers in his office and some of the pictures they look kind of fake and phony and we're not really sure what was doctored and where they came from and and now we have this supposed audio tape. It's interesting because I believe one of the prosecutors on the case was tossed out of a case in Florida because they had illegally used audio that was uh, that was against uh, whatever it was. They're, 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 it, was, it was not the right way for them to introduce evidence. It was inappropriately uh, appropriated, if you will. It's like you can't record a phone call and not tell somebody that they're being recorded. You know, you have, that's a big law that you can break. And if you take some evidence from your attorneys or from your the attorney of the person you're prosecuting and you don't tell them or if, if you withhold evidence from the uh, defendant attorney, you've got a problem. There are technicalities along the way. This is not an open and shut case. And then, you, of course, you've got the situation now brewing where let's say Trump is indicted. Let's say he is convicted. And then let's say he gets elected president. Uh, he can pardon himself. It's that simple. As president, he had the right to declassify documents. He offered the documents up. I almost think this was a trick. In fact, I'm sure it was a trick. They're all tricks. Everything that has been lobbied against Trump has been a trick, some act of deception, some form that didn't get filled out, or some form that was hidden. Uh, and, and And this is how fiercely the left is going after Trump. We all know it. We can see it. We can smell it. We can taste it. And we know what it is. So it's wrong for us to even belabor the point on the indictment at this point. Let's refocus our energies on what we know to be true, which is that we have a sitting U.S. president, not once, not twice, but thrice, seems to have been given seven-figure deposits for services no one seems to know what he did, for, for, for services due. What were the services? What did he provide? That's where the issue is. And if we keep focusing on that issue, that will put more pressure on Republicans to take the appropriate action. There was somebody over the weekend that said, this has got to stop. Don't worry about Trump. 
you know, worry about what, what, what's, that, what's happening right now in our government with this man. Because I'll tell you something, if, if we let that slip, that's the one opportunity we have, I think, to uh, expose Biden for the fraud that he is. I'm trying to think of some other subjects. The, the, the big, uh, again, you know, I don't like to pick on him, but apparently, you know, it's getting so bad that he's calling the prime minister of, of the UK the president. He's forgetting what oceans surround Africa. Uh, every time I turn around, uh, here's another one. Uh, he, he did tr- uh, transgender children on the lawn, and he lost battle with his uh, his teleprompter. He mumbled during the speech. Nobody understood what he meant. It's like the guy is losing it. So it's in, in the interest of this country to to really dig deep and and make sure that he is held accountable for what he did while he was vice president and after. And then also what he's doing now, trying to take out a political opponent while in office. A political opponent while in office. I mean, I'm sure that there's a crime somewhere in there. Uh, what else is going on? We've got, got a few minutes here. Uh, Trump, you know, went out and he did his speech on Miami. And then he, oh, he's going to be in Miami on Tuesday. Uh, it, again, Take my advice. Stay away from the Trump indictment. It means nothing. Just like the Russian collusion hoax meant nothing. Those are just trumped up, I believe, trumped up stories to keep your mind off of what's really happening here, which is that our government is under the control of a man who sold out his country and he is continuing to sell out his country to the highest bidder. Just keep an eye on that ball. Focus on that. Only talk about that. Somebody brings up the Trump indictment. You say, well, what about Biden? What about what he did? You know, keep your eye on the proverbial ball and keep applying pressure to your Republican leadership that you've got to hold Biden accountable. Joe Biden is the one who has done the greater damage to this country and continues to do so. We'll see you next time. Speaking out, America, I'm J.R.